0: good morning to you welcome it is eric erickson here the eric erickson show across the state of georgia good gracious right as this show is starting big flash of lightning and thunder at my house i guess i should probably check the radar holy moly yep we got a lot of rain uh in georgia today oh and look if you are let's see if you're in northeast georgia it's headed to you uh, yep, it'll be in the Athens and the Clarksville area here shortly. Dalton, Dalton, I love you, Dalton. You, you're, you're missing all the action. Everything is south of you. Everyone else, if you can hear my voice, you got storms uh, way down in South Georgia. Frankly, uh, along the, the near Lake Eufaula and the like, we got severe thunderstorm warnings in the Albany area. It's a mess And this, y'all. I'm I'm tired of the rain, but we're not here to talk about the rain. We're here to talk about Super Tuesday, are we not? Listen. Uh, there there are a number of things I want to say getting into this uh, and, and covering this and doing due diligence with you on the way things shaped up last night. I was very fascinated by it, and, and the reason I was fascinated by it was because nobody could see it coming. This is a great test for punditry in this country right now because uh, you got a lot of pundits who say a lot of things, and no one could see Super Tuesday shaping up as it did, and there are a number of reasons for that. one of the reasons for that is you need to understand how the polls work. The polling is not wrong. The polling gives you a snapshot of a day in time, and the polling averages are very, very good at capturing what goes on. The problem is, comes into play when you look at the exit polling. And for those of you who are new here, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this actually really does need to be said. The way exit polls work is they come in three rounds. They come in a morning, an afternoon, and an evening. You don't want to pay attention to the morning, and you don't want to pay attention to the afternoon, because they tend to oversample certain voter classes, particularly in general elections, they oversample Democrats, and then uh, you get the evening exit polling, and what happens with the evening exit polling is they're compiled with the morning and the midday exit polling, and then they're revised based on the statistical sampling of uh, who has turned out. Now, how do they do that? I'm not a statistician. I went to law school to avoid math but let me let me give you the general breakdown here the way it typically works is they pinpoint swing precincts you know how john king or steve kranacki on cnn or msnbc they stand in front of the they stand in front of their their tv screen their touch screen display that's oversized and they zoom down to a county and then they can zoom from a county. They can zoom down to the precinct level. And they can say, "Oh, oh, uh, Rutland, two here. This is a Republican district, but only by 55 percent. And the Democrats are turning out high here. This looks like it's going to be a good night for the Democrat, considering this precinct in this county is is turning well." They've got that data and and they can target uh, statistically precincts around states that are swingy precincts and they can start seeing how those precincts go and get a better idea of where everything else is going. And that's where they put uh, exit polling uh, pollsters. And the reason the exit polls are highly accurate compared to everything else is they can revise the exit polling to the actual percentages of people who voted. You can get a list of the people who vote. You can, you can figure out who's voting, and you can tell, well, tonight, uh, 55% of the voters are white, 35% are uh, black, uh, 10% are, are Asian, and, and the rest are whatever. And you can adjust your polling that way. You can say 55% are, are female, 45% are male. So you can adjust the exit polling to get an accurate snapshot of what's happening. In addition, with a standard poll, you poll you you focus group five hundred to a thousand people. With an exit poll, you can do twenty five hundred to five thousand people uh, in a state, not not overall, but in a state. So you get an incredible snapshot of what the voters are thinking in the states. And here's why last night was so surprising for everyone, myself included. Uh, It was a delightful surprise, actually, and and we should actually be encouraged to some degree that Democrats are rejecting Bernie Sanders. We'll get to that. But let me explain to you uh, why this is so interesting here. Well, at least it's interesting to me. I hope I can make it somewhat interesting to you, but it it gives you a snapshot of what campaigns go off of and why all the pundits, myself included, got last night wrong, what was shaping up last Night. although there were hints it was changing and we'll get to some of that as well uh, but what happens is standard polling is too expensive to do on the day before the election the only people who can do it are presidential campaigns and presidential campaigns if they're cl- very close they will do it if they're not close they won't do it and the reason is because there's really not a lot you can do between monday and tuesday you got to consider the early vote, you got to consider the absentee vote, you got to consider how close it is. Now, if it is really close, what you will find in races is that campaigns, if they do Monday polling before the election, and Monday a Monday polling before elections always involve live operators calling cell phones and landlines, those are the most accurate polls. So you start calling around and you realize we're actually down We're not doing as well as we need to do in Western Pennsylvania. And they will get on a private plane and they will send the candidate there and they will do a last minute event. And in-person appearances by candidates actually have a staying power of about 72 hours. You will see an uptick in polling for about 72 hours when a candidate goes in and makes a live appearance. It doesn't matter whether there's a Democrat or Republican. If Joe Biden were to fly in to, let's say, Macon, Georgia tomorrow, in the next 72 hours, Joe Biden's polling would go up in middle Georgia. It would eventually come back down. But if you're on a Monday and the election is the next day on the Tuesday and you realize you're doing poorly in Macon, you're you're doing poorly in Erie, Pennsylvania, or you're doing poorly in in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, you fly the candidate in, you do a big event, you get as many people there as possible, you get all the local media there, and it bumps you up. This is what Hillary Clinton did not do in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. This is why she lost. It had nothing to do with Comey. It had nothing to do with uh, the Russians, their polling showed them as, as doing just fine. There was not a problem. They could win without it. They were doing well on the popular vote. They forgot they were running the Electoral College, and they did not go there. And they lost. And what did Donald Trump do? Donald Trump did go. Donald Trump did do events. Now, all of this is to say the polling cut off by, um, by Saturday. Saturday. So no one saw, after the South Carolina win on Saturday night, no one, including any of the campaigns, could track the big surge for Biden over Sunday and Monday. It became a significant surge for Joe Biden. And there was not a campaign and there was not a media outlet that could see the surging. So everyone who was doing their prognosticating on what could happen was using Uh, data that had already become invalid based on South Carolina. We know from the exits, and the reason I brought up the exit polling, is that over 50% of voters in every one of the states that voted waited until after Saturday to make up their mind. The only group of people who did not do that were young voters. Young voters had already made up their mind. They were going for Bernie Sanders, but they did not go vote. This gets me to what I was talking about yesterday. Uh, overwhelmingly, young voters did not show up to vote. There is an inordinate amount of attention in the media over what young voters do or do not do. There is an inordinate amount of attention given to from the media. And the reason has a lot to do with media ratings. Uh, there is something called a demo. If you're in TV and radio, you know what a demo is. The demo is, is the prime advertisement We don't really care about who's watching. Uh, We want to know what the advertisers want. Uh, And the advertisers care about people 25 to 54. They particularly care about people 25 to 35. Uh, They particularly in talk radio care about men. And if you if you see like a a cheapening of TV and radio, it is in large part because or a dumbing down, I guess I should say, in large part is because they're going after the 25 to 35 year olds who don't want depth. They, They want to be entertained. And so you see a lot of media coming down there. And because the media really believes if we start talking about 25 year olds, they're going to tune in to us. They give an inordinate amount of coverage to it. And so they obsess over the youth vote. They obsess over what the youth are doing. They obsess over Rock the Vote. They obsess over all the youth voter registration programs. And consistently in American history, young people do not vote. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what your race is. It does not matter what your gender is. Young people tend to not vote. They tend to be very, very aggressive at candidate rallies. They tend to go out and volunteer for candidates. They tend to hold signs for candidates. They'll they'll phone bank for candidates. They'll do all these things. They'll get on camera and cry on cue for... For a CNN reporter, but they will not actually go vote. And Bernie Sanders did super, super well with young voters. And for polls that were more heavily tilted towards young voters, as some of the polls were, Bernie Sanders did very well in those polls. But it turns out, according to the exit poll, young people were the least likely to vote. Now, interestingly enough, in a place like Texas, Bernie Sanders was going to win Texas. All of the polling had it. You could start to see, as I told you yesterday, you could start to see Bernie was going down and Biden was going up. But Bernie still had a significant lead in Texas and all of us thought that Bernie Sanders was going to win Texas. Don't believe the pundits who thought otherwise all of the polling up through Saturday had him winning Texas and then he lost it. Now, um, Biden wound up winning 34 to 30. What is so distinct here is that Sanders had been at 35 percent of the polling and Bloomberg was cutting into Biden's lead. And it looks like in the last 48 hours, what happened was a lot of voters had enough of Mike Bloomberg, they realized after South Carolina, Biden actually was a viable candidate, and they stormed out to vote for him. But there are some real surprises in what happened last night. For example, uh, Bernie Sanders was expected to win Massachusetts. He was expected to beat Elizabeth Warren with Joe Biden coming in third. Instead, what happened is Joe Biden came in first, Bernie came in second, uh, Warren came in third, Bloomberg came in last. Bloomberg won nothing other than American Samoa. In fact, uh, I, I saw Rick Klein estimated that Mike Bloomberg paid $53 million per vote that he got yesterday. Based on the amount of money he spent, Mike Bloomberg, or a delegate, Mike Bloomberg spent $53 million per Democratic delegate. Now, there's something else that happened last night that no one saw coming. No one saw coming. In fact, two weeks ago, no one would have – people would have laughed in your face if you said it was possible. And even on Sunday and Monday, no one expected it to happen – Joe Biden is now in the delegate lead. I even said, I wrote in my piece on, on Super Tuesday, the odds were Joe Biden would get to Florida in two weeks and surpass Bernie Sanders and the delegates, but he did so well last night in ways no one foresaw. He's now ahead of delegates uh, of Bernie Sanders, and there's no coming back for him. And the reason there's no coming back for him is because of the calendar for Super Tuesday. It is a very or, or post Super Tuesday. You got a lot more Southern states on tap for Joe Biden. And that's going to very much matter. Uh, And then you're going to get to Florida and Florida is going to be the place where Joe Biden clinches the nomination in two weeks. But there is a very big surprise and a very big warning sign for the Sanders faction of the Democratic Party. It is actually a significant warning signal for the progressive left in America uh, of what happened last night on Super Tuesday. And no, I'm not talking about Henry Quaylor in Texas. Henry Quaylor in Texas, an incumbent Democrat, beat a progressive challenger who was backed by bernie sanders elizabeth warren and Alexandria ocasio cortez and and quaylar beat her beat a progressive that was a well-funded well-organized candidate i'm not talking about that race there is another race that is a harbinger of doom for the progressive left in this country and we should all be encouraged by it I do need to send out a recipe today. Uh, By the way, for those of you who are trying to watch on the live stream, I got flaky internet connection. They're doing construction outside my neighborhood, and it just messes everything up. Uh, Probably my Wi-Fi, too. I need a hard line in my house. In any event, I digress. Okay, Uh, you you know, so I am so terrible about teasing people uh, with radio of what I'm going to say and then forgetting to say it. I actually have to write sticky notes. But I didn't have to this time because this is right where I wanted to go. This is the big one. Uh, in fact, let me see if I can get it. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, the polling in Virginia. This is actually fairly remarkable as to what happened, and, and it was the first big sign that uh, this was going to happen. Here, here is the the polling in the run up to uh, in the run up to Virginia. Bernie Sanders was about three points ahead of uh, Joe Biden. And then in the last two days of the race, some enterprising pollsters ran out and did some last-minute polls and showed that Biden was surging. Virginia was one of the very few states where you saw Biden surge. And by the end of the polling average, Joe Biden had gone up to 28.8% in the polling average. But in Data for Progress, a left-wing pollster, Joe Biden was at 39%. Here's what actually happened in Virginia. Joe Biden got 53% of the vote in Virginia. Keep in mind that on Friday credible pollsters still had Bernie Sanders in the lead in Virginia. And it's not that the polling is wrong. It's that the polling occurred before the South Carolina primary. Jim Clyburn, by the way, Jim Clyburn is the uh, veteran democratic congressman from South Carolina. He's been there for a very long time, highly influential in democratic politics in South Carolina. That man probably single-handedly saved the Democrats from Bernie Sanders. Uh, And we should all probably consider Jim Clyburn as an American hero for reasons I want to get into here in a little bit. Uh, But, Joe Biden got 53% of the vote in Virginia. Nobody saw that coming. Even the most uh, glowing positive Biden pollsters didn't see it coming that he would get 53% of the vote. If you were on the ground in Virginia, though, yesterday, by, by the time I got to my evening show yesterday, you we were starting to see trend lines that something was happening there because there are a number of pollsters. I explained how the exit polls work. You pick sw- swing precincts and swing counties and you go, but they also staked out some precincts that should have been very positive for Biden and very positive for Sanders. And in the in the precincts that were very positive for Sanders, these are precincts, for example, that he dominated, in 2016 against Hillary Clinton, those, po- those people in the lines and lots of people queued up in those lines in Virginia, in those precincts that were Bernie Sanders precincts, and they were overwhelmingly for Joe Biden, overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. I mean, they were crushing it for Biden. And it, it, it really is remarkable. It, it genuinely is remarkable to see. Uh, we went in and yesterday I told you on air that there were 14 states and in the polling, Sanders was ahead in 10 of the 14. Ultimately, Joe Biden won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> he won 10. I should have been able to do that just by looking at the four that Sanders won as so, a hmm. <laughs> with 14 states i'm sorry i don't do math did i mention i went to law school to avoid math uh biden won alabama 63 percent arkansas 41 percent uh, maine is still pending and it's 34 33 so sanders could pick that one up but a lot of the trend lines look good for biden there uh, massachusetts this is another big surprise. He won at thirty three percent. Sanders twenty six. Elizabeth Warren twenty one. You know, I, I got a comment on Elizabeth Warren, and I want to here in a minute. But let me just say, it is remarkable that she's going to end her candidacy for president with one one thousand twenty fourth of the candidate of, of the support she started with. She has not seen. I, I saw somebody uh, last night say that um, she hasn't had a night this bad since the Battle of Wounded Knee. That's a, her trail of fake tears runs through her home state of Massachusetts with 21 percent of the vote. Minnesota, Biden won there with 39 percent. Now, Minnesota is another interesting one in that Minnesota is a is a progressive state. Amy Klobuchar was winning it barely to Joe Biden, but she came out, she endorsed Biden, and the party gravitated to him. And again, more than 50% of voters in Minnesota made up their mind in the last two days, and Biden won at 39%. In North Carolina, 43%. In Oklahoma, he got at 39%. In Tennessee, he got 42%. In Texas, he got 34%. That's a pretty big deal in Utah and Vermont and Colorado and California Bernie Sanders won now a buddy of mine who used to live in Colorado he's like how did we go from a a deeply red state to a Bernie Sanders state well you only went to Bernie Sanders state in the primary uh, you, you're not gonna have him in the general it will be a democratic state but you know legal weed it does stuff to people's minds and and you got all these hipsters now who showed up in in Colorado to go for Bernie Sanders let me play you this clip from Van Jones on CNN last night I I'm here hearing a lot of joy and also a lot of pain uh, from, you know, different sets of friends. On the one hand, I think there's a a joy that there has been this consolidation for the moderate lane, that the Democrats proved to be smarter than the Republicans in 2016, who they just kept dividing up the pie. But on the other hand, you do have another set of Democrats who feel like this is the empire striking back, that there was a a, a momentum that was real, that was a movement that had been a hard won, and it's now just being crushed by a consolidation among establishment Democrats. And so even though there's joy tonight, to see you know, you know know and everybody loves Joe, so to see him rise from the dead is great, but there, this is a, still a
1: divided party, and tonight could be pretty well,
2: bitter. That, that's the joke, is that Bernie Sanders is the most unifying figure in the Democratic Party because all the Democrats have just unified because they, they were worried Bernie was going to run away with it.
0: Yeah, you, you know, listen, um, it, it is interesting to watch the progressives, and this is going to be an issue that, Ber- that Joe Biden is going to have to deal with. There are a lot of progressives who are very upset that Joe Biden did as well as he did last night, but then look at some of the numbers. So for example uh, in Texas, Warren and Sanders combined uh, got 41% of the vote to Texas, uh, to, to Joe Biden at 34. Now, the issue here is that a lot of Warren's voters, female voters for Warren, would have gone to Joe Biden. So you can't use that too much. But it is actually very distinct that in a lot of these places, Sanders and Warren split progressive voters who didn't want Joe Biden. That does give us a little bit of a sign that moving forward, Joe Biden's still going to have some difficulty, but he's probably going to be the nominee now. We'll discuss when we get back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number. You want to be a part of the program? Listen, I got a question for my listeners across the planet. And the phone number here 97 Eric, 973 877-973-7425. 8779737425. Yes, I got that right. That that wasn't me repeating it for you. It was re, me repeating it for me to make sure I got it right. The the question is, what would you spend 525 million dollars on? Good lord, Mike Bloomberg has spent uh this much money. It looks like he's going to suspend his campaign now. Elizabeth Warren as well. I, I need to I need to say something that's going to make some of you and I know it's going to make some of you mad because I put this on social media last night and I'm still getting hate mail for saying it. I I realize that Bernie Sanders would be a way easier candidate to run against in November. And I, now listen, there are uh, there are prognosticators and contrarians, others, and no oh, actually, Sanders would be much harder to beat than than Bernie Sanders because because Bernie Sanders would be able to bring blue-collar voters. And there's data that some of Trump voters were Sanders voters, and they would come back to Sanders. No, Sanders would actually be the easiest person to run against because he's a communist, and Americans hate communists. And all last night was all about even Democrats giving communists the middle finger, and we should all celebrate that. I mean the. The fact of the matter is that, yes, Bernie Sanders would be an easier candidate against Donald Trump. Uh, Joe Biden will be a more difficult candidate for Donald Trump to be. And no, just spare me the vocal. No, actually, Joe Biden's an idiot. No, listen, you don't understand. At this point, nobody cares about gaffes. Nobody cares about gaffes, and the media is never going to cover Joe Biden's gaffes in the way they cover Donald Trump's gaffes. The media is never going to cover Joe Biden's lies in the way they cover Donald Trump's lies. People don't care about this stuff anymore. What they care about is Donald Trump. They either like him or they don't like him. And there are a lot of people who don't like him who won't vote for Bernie Sanders, and they will vote for Joe Biden. And if it's Bernie Sanders, they'll hold their nose and they'll go vote for Donald Trump. Joe Biden is a more formidable candidate against Donald Trump. Let's just deal with reality. Reality as it is, not as we want it to be but we should actually all be applauding the Democrats for what happened last night because it was unexpected. And not only was it unexpected, but the, the California race is closer even than we expected in California. uh, Joe Biden is at 25%. He was not expected to be that high. And it, It actually is a good thing that even in California, Joe Biden is getting a quarter of the vote because the Democratic Party has been moving to the left for a while. And Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez intended to speed it up. They intended to rush uh, the the they intended to rush Joe Biden's uh, demise. They intended to rush the progressive embrace of socialism. They the Green New Deal, Medicare for all uh, take ma- massive takeover of government uh, sectors or private sectors by the government, like the energy industry. All of that stuff comes crashing down around them. Uh, Bernie Sanders being wiped out by Democrats nationwide last night and Elizabeth Warren as well. Pretty much kills Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders being wiped out the way he was last night in states he was expected to win pretty much kills the Green New Deal. Joe Biden is no longer beholden to, nor does he have to placate these people. There, there's a caveat there we'll get to here in a minute. But this is a good thing. Those of us who are conservatives, those of us who are Republicans, uh, those of us who who do not care for the leftward drift of the Democratic Party should actually applaud the Democrats last night uh, giving a middle finger to the far left of their party. We actually should applaud the fact uh, that even the Democrats believe the Sanders supporters are well outside the mainstream. Now, I realize I I do realize that no Democrat and no member of the media will ever acknowledge or, or give credence to the fact that Donald Trump is a fairly mainstream Republican. He's a his policies are fairly mainstream. He he's not a mainstream candidate. He's not even a mainstream Republican, but he is a mainstream in, in terms of policy, in terms of tax cuts, in terms of foreign policy, in terms of defense policy, in terms of his reaction to the coronavirus, in terms of all these things. He actually is a fairly mainstream politician. And the Democrats will never concede that, even though I, I'm willing to concede that them rejecting Sanders is a good thing. I, I don't expect them to play fair, but but then I'm not a Democrat. I'm not gonna play by their rules. I'm gonna play by my own rules. I do have a level of intellectual honesty here and is intellectually honest to say it is a good thing that the American people and the Democratic Party repudiated a communist last night. We should all be cheering the demise of the communists in the Democratic Party last night. Now, there will be those who say, but they're still taking over the party. And yes, we still have to worry about it. We still have to be vigilant. There will be people who surround Joe Biden and those people will try to push Joe Biden to the left. It's true, but it is very clear that there is a limit to how far the, the Democrats want to go. And what is so striking about it is it was black voters who saved the Democratic Party from themselves. Who saw black voters being the moderates of the party coming? I, I abhor the idea of the black vote. I genuinely abhor the idea of thinking in terms of classes or races in terms of vote. Uh, Everyone is an individual in this country and everyone has an individual vote. But it is it is fair to note that the overwhelming majority of voters in the black community went with Joe Biden also that they are not typical of your standard Twitterati. Uh, It is amazing to see the collapse of Kamala Harris first and Elizabeth Warren second because they obsessed over what people on social media thought. People on social media are largely irrelevant. Myself included, I have a massive following on social media and uh, at least I live in the real world. I've always been amazed at the people who have no no encounters with the real world. Their entire ideas, their, their persona is wrapped up in their social media yourselves. You know, so I uh, run my website, The Resurgent. And in fact, I got to f- probably find some new writers. But nonetheless, um, when I go out and I try to find people to work with in politics and in, in writing online and things, I try to find people who live in the real world. And what I mean by that is there are people you will encounter who are obsessed with their identity online. And there was a time that I was. You become obsessed with your online identity and what people online are thinking. You become obsessed with your online community. You know, one of the problems we have in society these days is that we're all building communities who look and think just like us, uh, which is really unrepresentative of the world. That's why so many people more and more don't know anyone outside of their political views is when you go online online, And you're getting involved in line in groups. If you're in politics, now, for those of you who aren't super politically inclined, and I apologize, we're we're so far in the weeds with politics right now. But for those of you who aren't super politically inclined, even you have some values and ideas, and you tend to associate with people like that. It becomes your church online. Uh, Those of you who are progressive, who are listening, I know you're listening. You go online and you find progressive enclaves. Those of you who are conservative, you go online, you find progressive enclaves. When you start accepting friend invites from people on social media, particularly Facebook, who you don't really know them, but you look and you say, oh, this guy, yeah, he's a he's a Trump supporter. Uh, I'll let him in. Or, oh, this guy's a Bernie Sanders supporter. No, we're not going to be friends. And the opposite on the Democratic side. And you build a community that looks exactly like you. And everyone shares the same opinion. And on Twitter, it's even worse. Most Americans do not participate in Twitter. And yet a large number of political people and a large number of reporters do. And so the political people and the reporters on Twitter, they see each other tweeting things, and that forms their worldview where they're not in the real world. You know, I don't mean this boastfully, but I do think it works to my advantage. Increasingly, I find people... Oh man, this is going to sound really arrogant, y'all. I gotta preface this by saying I don't mean this to sound arrogant. I really don't, um, it, but it is it is relevant, and, and maybe to some degree it's a trade secret. I should keep my mouth shut here. But here's the thing: um, I think one of the things that sets me apart in what I do when I write and in in even in talk radio is that I don't live in a massive metropolitan area and I don't run in those spheres of people. I have friends of mine who get into talk radio and they begin to run around as, as uh, dimmy Demi celebrities with a circle of friends within talk radio and within the conservative movement. And they're heralded as heroes and truth tellers. And that shapes their worldview and they feed off of each other with red meat and, uh, it, it, and pretty soon it, it's, they're, they're echoing a talking point in a spin. They're not really telling you, uh, what they think is happening in the world. And frankly, I think some of them lose track of what's happening in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it contrast that with, for example, Rush Limbaugh, who I, one, I, I just think the world of him, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, he is a friend and he spends, even though he lives in Palm beach. He spends a lot of time interacting with his callers and his listeners and, and going around the country and talking to people. Uh, and so he relates in a way that other people, particularly people who you've never even heard of in, in conservative talk radio, who are just getting started, they don't uh, because they go to CPAC and they hang out with the CPAC kids and they're always on social media. and They're slinging red meat and, and they're trying to own the left. And, and their original thoughts aren't very deep because all they got to do is own the left. And if they own the left, they score the points and they get the buzz. And yeah, I, I do think it actually matters to me. I live in Macon, Georgia. I have a wife and two kids. I am in seminary. Uh, I, I hang out in my town. I don't go to CPAC. I don't go to these political conferences all the time. Uh, I will speak at events. I'm going to Athens to speak to the College Republicans tonight, but I'm just not in that world. Uh, and, and I used to actually lament that I wasn't in that world. I used to regret that I was not in D.C. or New York or, or some major, even Atlanta. I don't even live in Atlanta. And I used to regret that. And over time, I I found that I I really do think it makes me more realistic in what I do. And also, it makes me realize, because I'm not in the world of the conservative punditry class that so many of my friends are in, uh, it makes me realize there is a world of people out there who really just want the news and the facts. And and I can give you my opinion, and I can give you my analysis, but really, people don't know what the hell is going on in the world. They don't need to own the left. You don't need to wake up every day and throw red meat and chum in the water and get people cheering, tell people what's going on on let them make up their own mind and it, this gets into the politics of the day here where we see so many people in politics now who are so obsessed with what the buzz is on twitter twitter in particular because it's way more in real time than facebook facebook is you go hang out with your friends and your family you write something along in twitter you got 240 characters and the constant flow of information keeps you up to date with stuff. And you interact with people. People can interact easily with you. Even people who you don't know can interact with you. You can follow and interact with famous people. Famous people interact with you. You get retweeted by someone and people obsess about it. You become somewhat starstruck. You you become struck that, oh my gosh, I can interact with famous person on social media. But it's not reality. Reality is... I got up at 615 yesterday morning because my son came in the bedroom and had a nosebleed and he didn't want to go to school. Reality is we got up this morning. My daughter's still asleep. She was out most of a couple weeks ago, sick from school. She's got a sinus infection. She's sick. Reality is my son's got something at church tonight. I wanted to go out to dinner with a friend last night. I had to put it off because I had to help my son uh, do something for church tonight. And then I had to come back because people forgot to tell me I needed to be on radio last night to cover Super Tuesday. Life is messy. And life is in the real world. It is not on social media. Your Facebook friend and the person you interact with on Twitter, they're not coming to water your plants when you're gone, and they're not coming to bring you a meal when you're sick. It's your next-door neighbor. It is the world outside. It is Rome. It is Clarksville. It is Athens. It is Macon. It is Valdosta. It is Vidalia. It is is our listening area. It is is the actual physical foot on the ground, not your finger on the keyboard, that matters. And so many people miss that. So many people get distracted by that. And it's hard even for me because I do spend a lot of time on social media trying to figure out what's going on and interacting with people and sometimes you do miss the fact that you know you actually do need to go to church on sunday and hear what people are talking about you do need to go to the local cafe or 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 the local meet and three and figure out what's going on with life because you spend time on social media you're interacting with people who don't actually interact with the real world that much and you become used to that and that becomes who you are and that's a bad thing you become a parody of yourself the longer you spend on social media and we see that with these campaigns like Elizabeth Warren, and we see this with these campaigns like Kamala Harris, and we see this with with the Bernie Sanders folks. The Bernie Sanders folks are so online and engaged in social media, particularly Twitter, none of them could see last night coming. Even those of us who, like yesterday, I started telling you there were warning signs for Sanders and that even Biden had momentum in Texas. I didn't think he was going to win Texas, and he did. But there were certainly warning signs that he was trickling up. If you were so focused on social media in your little circle of friends, particularly in the progressive bubble on social media, you'd have never seen it coming. That's why they're so angry today. I actually had a clip. I wanted to play you this clip. It's Sink Unger of the Young Turks. It is a hyper progressive site. He's a big Bernie Sanders fan. And I wanted to play you his meltdown. But I can't play you his meltdown because it was so laced with profanity. I've never heard someone take the Lord's name in vain that much. And I, I've, I've been around sailors most of my life. I mean, this guy is unhinged and he believes the media is lying to you. He believes all these things. And the reason he does is because he's so in this online world and everyone online is a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren fan. It's real hard to find the super pro Biden people outside of the media. It is all Sanders and it is all Warren. And when you live in that world, that's what you think. And Republicans have this problem too, by the way. Republicans do have this problem. I can't tell you the number of friends I know who are absolutely convinced because they all hate Joe Biden and they all see all of his gaffes on social media. They think everybody's aware of it. They're not. The media is never going to give Biden the coverage they give Donald Trump. And if you're on social media, you should understand there is this media bias. And yet people get whipped up into it all. Oh, I listened to, to Eric Erickson on radio and Erickson plays this clip of Joe Biden. And, and man, there's no way Biden can win because he's an idiot. Yeah, you're listening to me. Most people aren't. I wish they were. One day, my plan for global domination involves everybody listening to me, but but not yet. When I was a political candidate, I would tell people all the time, know when you're in the minority, even when you think you're right. And the problem for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and the hyper-progressives on social media is they haven't figured out they're in the minority. And we actually, all of us, Democrats, Republicans, independents, we should all be applauding the Democratic Party last night for reminding those clowns that they are a minority even of the Democratic Party. Now, that spells trouble, though, for Joe Biden, and he's going to have to figure out a way to deal with it without actually disrupting his plans to take on the president in November. I'll explain when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. You know, Biden does have a problem now. He's kind of caught the tiger by the tail. This this is the, this is the impressive thing about uh, what Biden did last night. If you really want this in perspective, uh, Joe Biden had not a single campaign staffer in Oklahoma, Minnesota, or Massachusetts. He spent zero advertising dollars in Oklahoma, Minnesota, and Massachusetts. And he won every single one of those states. That's actually really amazing that he was behind in all of these states. He spent no money in these states. He had no staff in these states. He had no get-out-the-vote operation in these states. He had no ground game in these states. Nothing. And he won them. That is a massive rejection of the left in the Democratic Party. But, there is a but here. The progressive base still has to turn out in November for Biden to win. And the media has for years and years and years, the media has spent a whole lot of time playing up the divisions within the Republican Party highlighting the crack-up of the Republicans, the, the intraparty civil war of the Republicans, however you want to call it. The media has been doing this, and they've never bothered to pay attention to it on the Democratic Party side. And in large part, it's because if you understand the data out there about reporters, most reporters are to the left— of where Joe Biden is in the Democratic Party. That's why they can call Joe Biden a moderate, even though he's not. It's one of the most infuriating label things that you hear in the media these days is the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. There really isn't a moderate wing of the Democratic Party. They're all progressive. It's just varying degrees of progressive. But members of the media tend to be closer to the Bernie Sanders end of the Democratic Party. And so they can look at Joe Biden and say, oh, this guy's to the right of me. He must be a moderate but because they're there they're to the left of they're to the right of sanders but to the left of biden they don't actually see that the democratic party' is cracking up um it, you have a hard time seeing things that are right in front of your face when you become so emotionally invested in them when you're in a republican party and you're actively in the party and you're a party person you're not an ideologue you're a party person you tend not to be able to see the divisions like for example republicans right now believe there's way more unity within the Republican Party than there actually is. There is, to be fair and to be clear, there is way more unity in the Republican Party right now than the media would have you believe. But there is far less unity in the party than a lot of major Republican leaders would have you believe. And in fact, uh, whether Donald Trump wins or loses this year, in 2024, a lot of the wounds are going to be reopened in the Republican Party as some people who have pretended to be Trump supporters for a number of years come back out of the woodwork and try to pull the party away from Trump supporters. And you're going to have that fight again. But the Democratic Party is also cracking up as well along lines with progressives of how progressive to be. Are you a communist or are you a socialist or are you a run of a mill big government establishment Democrat? These are problems the Democratic Party is going to have to face, and Joe Biden doing so well actually exacerbates these problems because a lot of Sanders supporters really do think that the establishment is stealing it for Joe Biden. That's not true. And I realize that the Republicans are saying this and and uh, you got the the Trump campaign out saying, oh, they're really stealing it from Bernie. They're trying to exacerbate these tensions because they don't want these people to show up in November. They, they want them alienated from the Democratic Party. That's the strategy. That's why you're hearing so many Republicans talk about it. Actually, what happened is voters are showing up in primaries and actually voting in primaries. No one's stealing anything. But you know, and I know that if Joe Biden gets 40% of the delegates and goes to Milwaukee to the convention, he's going to be the nominee. And if Bernie Sanders got 40% of the delegates and went to Milwaukee, they would work very hard to shut him out. And progressives know it as well. And Biden's going to have to find a way to placate progressives, but he's going to have to do it in a way that doesn't alienate independents and moderates because dude is old. We're going to have, to have a real discussion about his age and viability as president if he gets elected. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you would like to call in and tell me how you would have spent Mike Bloomberg's $700 million, (laughs) $52 million per delegate, that's what Mike Bloomberg wound up spending, holy cow. Uh, Welcome, Uh, the phone number here, 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425, I've I do think I ought to just uh, glance here. Oh, yeah. So uh, the, the the technical term for, for the weather is it sucks outside. Uh, Rome, look at you, you glorious people. I love Rome. Oh, my goodness, do I love Rome. Uh, Rome is now you got some sprinkles in the area, but you're starting to be clear. Dalton, you're clear. Jasper, you're on the cusp of being all of you people in North Georgia are are clear um the blue ridge highway and all from blue ridge over to to clayton and and you're fine you're fine, Clarksville. You're fine, Athens. It's gross, and I got to be in Athens this afternoon to talk to the University of Georgia College Republicans. Uh, I I think it's for I think it's for the college kids. They didn't tell me, um, but I think it's for the the the, uh, the University of Georgia College Republicans. But I'm gonna hang out afterwards and grab a beer. I'm sure. Uh, and those of us in Macon, it sucks for us. Uh, if you're down in uh, Soperton and Vidalia and Swainsboro, it sucks for you too. I mean, these are all. T- technical terms I'm using here, technical meteorological terms, all the way down to the Florida line, it's gross. Uh, Albany, you've got a severe thunderstorm warning in Albany right now. Uh, It expires in six minutes, though. And then what is this over down there? Yeah, you got another severe thunderstorm down in in far south Georgia. It's just gross weather out there. That's all I need to say about that. I, I, I need to tell you again, some of you weren't here yesterday. You weren't tuned in and paying attention as you should this really should be must listening for you every day, nonetheless. Uh, so, um, Super Tuesday, Super Tuesday, the very first time anyone used the phrase Super Tuesday was in 1976. The New York Times referred to Super Tuesday uh, as the three con- or the six re- six states that were up for grabs in the Republican primary between uh, it would be Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan. Reagan won three, Ford went run went, ran the, the uh, one three. I'm sorry, I can't talk this morning. My brain is moving way faster than my mouth and it's causing me problems. There's so much to talk about. This morning, I, You know, I've got very limited audio today. Uh, don't have a ton of audio because I got so much to say and no one can say it better than me, all these talking heads on TV. So it's just me and you today. But my brain is moving fast. I need to slow down a little bit. Starting to sound like a friend of mine who talks super, super fast on radio. Super Tuesday came about in 1976. The New York Times referred to it as that. I cannot, all of a sudden, my mind has gone blank. Uh, The six states between Reagan and Ford, but they split them. But it was not an official thing. It just happened. Uh, These states did not work uh, concurrently. They didn't work in a collaborative fashion to try to get themselves all on the calendar at the same time. But in 1980, three states did. The states of Alabama, Florida, and Georgia— decided that they needed to come together to stop Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy was a serious force in the Democratic primary in 1980. Now, if just for full disclosure here, I was like three or four years old. So um, I, I wasn't exactly paying attention then. But I was a student of history and politics and Ted Kennedy was a force and southern democrats knew if ted kennedy were the nominee they were already beginning to see signs at the federal level that the south was beginning to shift to the republicans and they needed to do something to stop ronald reagan because reagan was clearly going to be the nominee of the republican party and they needed to help jimmy carter because they needed to stop Ted Kennedy and they needed to hold the South. And so the governors of Alabama, Georgia, and Florida got together and they branded it as Super Tuesday. They put the primary for uh, the first Tuesday in March. They called it Super Tuesday. And when Carter swept through those Southern states and then several weeks later swept continued to sweep through southern states uh ted kennedy was done ted kennedy was over but ted kennedy so savaged John, uh jimmy carter in that race that the reagan campaign in the general election began using ted kennedy advertisements against jimmy carter that's how brutal it was and after that the Democrats realized they could use Super Tuesday to blunt the advance of progressive candidates. The Democrats had been so horrified by the rise of McGovern against Nixon, and the Adelaide Stevenson race, and and the like before that. the 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 drift of the Democratic Party when it got captured by uh, progressives, even Hubert Humphrey having having problems holding off the left, and then you got the McGovern bounce out of that. It became a disaster. And the Democratic Party was horrified by the rise of these far-left progressive candidates. And they began strategically in 84 and 88 and 92 uh, to use Super Tuesday elections— By compiling a lot of Southern states and relying overwhelmingly on black voters after the shift to the GOP of white voters in the South, uh, relying on black voters to stop white progressive candidates who were out of touch with the American public. They did it again last night in unexpected ways. When people went to the races last night, all the polls showed Bernie Sanders winning Texas, and all the polls showed Bernie Sanders winning Minnesota, and all the polls showed Bernie Sanders winning Massachusetts, and all the polls showed Bernie Sanders winning Virginia, and he didn't. When I came on the air yesterday morning, I said, if you go off the polls, Bernie Sanders is going to win 10 of the 14 Super Tuesday states. But Joe Biden will do well enough that by the end of the month, he's going to surpass Sanders and delegates and probably has rebounded. It didn't take until the end of the month. It didn't take until Florida and Georgia. It happened last night. Joe Biden won the states he wasn't supposed to win. He won 10 of the 14 instead of uh, Bernie Sanders. Sanders was supposed to win 10 of the 14. Biden won 10 of the 14. California and Maine have not yet been called. But California is definitely the Associated Press says California is going to go for Sanders and Maine looks to be going for Biden, but it's very close. It's 34, 33 there. So that could flip to Sanders based on early voting. The early voting still pending. A lot of that went for Sanders. You know, there's, a, there's a, something to be said here for the end of early voting. I, I've always been an opponent of early voting. Democrats like early voting because it minimizes lines on Election Day, and I get that. Uh, and for all of this, there, there's talk now about Republicans causing lines in Texas. That's what they did in Georgia with uh, Brian Kemp. If you'll recall in 2018, there were all sorts of arguments about the the long lines for voters in Georgia. And even the Abrams camp said this is voter suppression. What they What they did is they played on media ignorance. Uh, Local elections and local voter precincts are controlled by the counties in Georgia and in Texas, and the long lines have occurred in counties that are run by Democrats. And if you really want to believe that the Republicans are suppressing voters in these areas, what you have to believe is that the local Democrats who hate the Republicans are working collaboratively with the Republicans to screw minority voters out of their ability to vote to ensure Republicans get elected. Uh, And that is as crazy a conspiracy theory as believing that the Chinese released this coronavirus into the wild to wipe out populations and it got got out of hold and there are people who believe that there there are people who believe all sorts of crazy conspiracy things uh, but it simply is not so. What you do need to take away from, um, by the way, this is, I'm sorry, breaking news right now, uh, breaking news happening. It is 10.15 on March 4th in the morning. For those of you listening to me on delay, uh, Mike Bloomberg, multiple media sources are saying Mike Bloomberg will be stepping aside. Uh, Mike Bloomberg will be suspending his candidacy. There you go. Yep. Axios now confirming as well. Mike Bloomberg is going to suspend his campaign. Now, why do they suspend? This is important. Why do they suspend instead of drop out? The reason they suspend instead of dropping out is because if they drop out under the rules of both parties, if they were to actually drop out of the race, they would give up control of their delegates. So Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bloomberg, who all have delegates, they're suspending instead of dropping out, and the reason they're suspending instead of dropping out is because they don't want to give up their delegates. If they gave up their delegates, there's no guarantee the delegates wouldn't go to Bernie Sanders, and they don't want those delegates to go to Bernie Sanders. On the first ballot in the Democratic Party, uh, the delegates are bound to the candidates they pledged to vote for so long as those candidates haven't dropped out. So they suspend, they don't drop out. The delegates stay bound to them, and Bernie Sanders cannot woo them. Mike Bloomberg cannot woo them. So Bloomberg going to suspend his campaign. All of that money that he spent, all of that money spent by Mike Bloomberg, and he's dropping out. Uh, that's actually very, very funny to me. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I personally, and, and you know, I said this in the first hour, if you weren't here in the first hour, I said, uh, we should all applaud the Democrats for rejecting the communists. Uh, even the Democratic Party last night gave a middle finger to the commies, and we should appreciate that. Bernie Sanders can call himself a democratic socialist, uh, but the only difference between a democratic socialist and a communist is uh, that he calls himself a democratic socialist and communists are honest about it. Bernie Sanders is a fraidy cat communist. That's what a democratic socialist is. And the Democrats even repudiated the communists last night. And that, that's a good thing. Uh, but I admit that Bernie Sanders would be easier for Donald Trump to beat. This makes the campaign in November uh, more difficult. But it's a good thing that even the Democrats rejected the commie. And also because, you know, accidents can happen. Things can happen. If the economy absolutely cratered, you could see a bunch of people rushing to Bernie Sanders. And that would be a terrible thing in November if he were an option on the ballot. Also, this does begin more rapidly, the crack up of the Democratic Party. They're going to have to deal with the crack up of the Democratic Party. But man, Super Tuesday wound up working better than anyone expected it to work super Tuesday stopped an advance of progressives in the same way Democrats have been using it for years to stop progressive candidates and you know they they rearranged the rules for Bernie Sanders so the superdelegates can't vote in the first round it doesn't matter at this point it looks like Joe Biden is going to get now a majority or very close to a majority of the delegates and not have to worry about it and you know if I were Biden I would not debate from here on out I would say no more debates because it's clear the people don't care about his gaffes, but it's also clear if he gets on a debate stage, it gives all sorts of added fodder uh, to a lot of people to point to Joe Biden is not quite right in the head these days. Still, it was a good night. Now, there's, there's one more thing we need to talk about before we move on to other stuff, because I got other stuff to talk about, because we can move on from Super Tuesday. But I got to play this soundbite from, of all people, Al Sharpton.
1: I'm not surprised. I think that I've been saying all along that if you go into states that have diversity, Biden was always a favorite. Mm. And I think a lot of it has to do with his work with Barack Obama. But I think a lot of it was also accelerated by what happened in South Carolina. And what I think we're seeing tonight, and I think uh, uh, you O'Brien mentioned it, uh, is that the surge of young voters has not happened uh, so far. The night is early. And the turnout seems to be more Biden in the states that we've seen uh, than uh, we've seen of Sanders. And I think a lot of us were buying into what ends up now looking like some political talk uh, or projections of by one camp rather than the reality. Listen, young
0: voters are not going to turn out. The, the surge of young voters didn't happen. Uh, black voters love Joe Biden. Young voters love Bernie Sanders. Black voters turned out. Young voters didn't. This helped Joe Biden. That's good for the Democrats, but it's good for the country. It actually is. It's good for the country that the Democrats rejected going that far left. And, and we should be applauding that. And now let's move on to other stuff. Bloomberg is out that actually makes me laugh. I I did y'all see the video yesterday? I didn't even want to play it. It's it's just um can I say douchey on the radio cuz my goodness. Um he's in Texas. He's with a Hispanic reporter and she asked him about being in Texas and he says, "Oh, we call it Tejas in Texas." She's Hispanic. <laughs> what a what an out of touch clown. Uh, it's just, it's nice to see that guy lose. I've never cared for Bloomberg. Uh, even when he was a Republican, I did not care for him. Uh, just, just, it just, he's gross. Um, I'm not a Bloomberg fan. Uh, so it was nice to see him fall on his face. Now, uh, I want to go to the phones, 877-973-7425. Dan is calling from Rome. Listen on WRGA. Welcome Dan.
2: Hey Eric, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. Listen, first I wanted to uh, thank you as a retired educator for uh, for basically showing teachers and, and supporting teachers. I, I, this is the first time I've gotten to listen to talk radio because I've not been uh, as an administrator as a, uh, in a uh, school. But um, I, I appreciate you supporting the fact that educators are good. At, we, we have some bad educators, but we have some good educators, and it's about the culture at home.
0: Well, uh, look, uh, I I appreciate you saying that, and, and it sure is my pet peeve when we blame all the teachers and forget about crumbling households.
2: Absolutely, and I'm guessing you're like me. I have have a daughter that's a, a student at UGA, and a daughter that's trying to get into medical school. And when you raise your kids in a culture of the expectation that they're going to go on and do things and go to uh, go to college, that that makes a difference, and and. People right. overlook that. They want to find a scapegoat in, in educators. And, yes, there are some poor educators, but by and large, uh, where where I'm from, we have excellent educators here in Rome. But, uh, anyway, I wanted to say that. My question for you is this. Um, with everything that's going on in the uh, primaries, what is your sense as far as uh, a candidate, uh, a, a vice presidential candidate for Biden? Because I think that's probably key in his uh, success or right. non-success in the election?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, that is such a great question, Dan. Uh, and, and, you know, I, a lot of people are floating Stacey Abrams' name. I don't think it's going to be her. Uh, thank you very much for the phone call here. And I, I don't think it's going to be Stacey Abrams. And the reason I don't think it's going to be Stacey Abrams, despite there are a lot of people in Georgia obsessed with it, and frankly, I talked to a Republican the other day who said, man, I would love it to be Stacey Abrams so we don't have to deal with her here in Georgia. But it's not going to be her because she's never won anything other than a state house seat. Uh, there are t- two names. One I'm hearing a lot of buzz about and one I'm not, but I, I personally think is someone that he's going to consider. The one that is buzzing heavily today is Amy Klobuchar, the senator from, from Minnesota. And the reason is because... Amy Klobuchar saved Minnesota for Biden. Uh, It was going to go to Sanders. Klobuchar went in there uh, in the last two days and barnstormed the state for Joe Biden, who had no staff and no ads. She summoned her network of people in Minnesota, and they pulled it out of Bernie Sanders' hands and gave it to Joe Biden. Uh, Minnesota is a state that the president has overperformed. He didn't win it, but he overperformed Republican uh, performance in the past. You put Amy Klobuchar on the ticket with Joe Biden. you take uh, Minnesota off the table for the Republicans and you free up resources to spend elsewhere. There's another one that I think he's going talk he's going to consider. And that is um Michelle Grisham. Now you don't know Michelle Grisham. She's actually Hispanic. She her husband's name is um is Grisham, but her name is Michelle Lynn Luan and she is the governor of New Mexico. She was in the United States House of Representatives from 2013 to 2018. She became the first democratic woman elected governor of New Mexico. She became the first democratic uh, Latina elected a state chief executive in the history of the United States, except I don't think that's actually right because Susanna Martinez, uh, oh, Democrat. Yeah, 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 she's not the first Hispanic woman elected as a state executive. She's the first Democratic Hispanic woman elected. And you know, that matters more for for a lot of people. Uh, But she was the Secretary of Health of New Mexico. She was a county commissioner. She was in Congress. She's now a governor. Uh, That's the profile of someone that uh, Joe Biden would want in large part when you look at the numbers Uh, Joe Biden did not do as well with Hispanic voters as he should have done. They went with Bernie Sanders, particularly in the border counties in Texas. You get a Hispanic governor who is a female and that checks so many boxes for the Democratic Party and possibly brings progressives in because she is progressive. uh, That brings voters into the Democratic Party in a way maybe Amy Klobuchar would not because she was so hostile to Bernie Sanders. Um, that's an opportunity there. I I would put those two up there. I think it's going to be a woman. I, I think he's going to have to pick a woman. It's going to be interesting to figure out who he goes with though. Well, there's some more breaking news we need to engage with here. This is actually very big news in the state of Georgia. Uh, Nikki Haley will be endorsing Kelly Loeffler's campaign for the U.S. Senate. Uh, She will be coming into Atlanta on Monday for an event. A senior Republican official with direct knowledge of the situation has said. Uh, Nikki Haley will be on the campaign trail in Georgia for Kelly Leffler. That matters. Nikki Haley, one of the most popular politicians in Republican politics right now, Uh, doing this. It's a big deal. Now, there's actually uh, some other Georgia news that I wanted to talk about uh, moving beyond the Super Tuesday stuff. And this is in Athens. I'll be in Athens tonight uh, for the University of Georgia College Republicans. And election officials in Athens, according to Mark Neese at the AJC, election officials in Athens are the first group in Georgia to abandon the new voting machines in Georgia. Uh, they're concerned they won't keep ballots secret. The Athens-Clarke County Board of Elections voted 3-2 to two to switch to paper ballots bubbled in by PIN two days after early voting begins. It's the first of Georgia's counties to reject the $104 million voting system, which combines the touchscreens and the printed-out paper ballots. Voters statewide had been using the touchscreen since early voting. Election integrity activists say the bright screens display people's choices from 30... You know, they've been complaining about... They have come up with every single excuse to go to paper ballots so they can stuff the ballot box. You know, it's... It, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> in all seriousness, though, when I was starting out in 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 politics in Georgia as a college student at Mercer, uh, the stories that would come out of elections were hysterical, particularly in the in the. Uh, Athens Clark County area and in the Fulton County area of ballot boxes being stuffed, and you can do that with paper ballots. You can't do that with electronic ballots. And and of course the the progressives in in Athens Clark County uh, want to ditch the voting machines. Which by the way, if you're disabled or elderly, the the electronic voting machines are awesome. And more old people vote than young people. You should be encouraging the use of a machine. But nonetheless. Um, So uh, the board has cited a provision of the Georgia Constitution that requires a secret ballot and state law that uh, allows for paper ballots when use of voting equipment is impossible or impractical. But another law mandates every county use a uniform statewide voting system. Election board chairman Jesse Evans says the new voting system can't comply with state and federal requirements uh, for voters to be able to vote in private. Athens Clark County Board of Elections is not legally permitted to use an electronic ballot marker that does not prevent voting in absolute secrecy so that no person can see or know each other elector's votes except when he or she has assisted the elector in voting. Now, I suspect that the um, that they that the Secretary of State's office, is going to not only protest, but file a lawsuit. Uh, In fact, the Secretary of State's office has said that county elections officials can protect ballot secrecy by actually turning the ballots to face the wall. You know, when you go in these days, uh, so I I can only talk about my voting precinct, but I've been a poll watcher in the past. And what you can do is you go into, uh, let let me just take mine. So I, I vote in middle Georgia, voted a church, and they put the machines in a hallway. And they face you walk up to the machine and you don't have to go around the back side of the machine. And so everyone can can see your back. And what the Secretary of State's office has been recommending is that you turn the machines around so they're facing the wall. So you go around the machine and, and you cast your vote and people can't see the screen. Duh. But Athens, Clark County has decided they don't want to do that uh, in a cramped voting environment. That could be difficult. This is so nonsensical. It, this this is silly. The new voting touchscreens are similar to the old ones. But they're larger and they have the audacity to display the text more clearly. They're partially surrounded by blue privacy screens, which leaves voting touchscreens exposed at some angles. The Athens election will use hand-marked paper ballots with the same voting process tested in Cobb County in November. Under an order from a federal judge, Cobb tested hand-marked paper ballots as a contingency plan in case the touchscreen system wasn't ready in the presidential primary. Athens voters will bubble in their choices for president on a paper ballot, then feed it into the new voting machine's optical scanners, which can read both hand-marked and computer-printed ballots. Across the state in South Georgia, an elections integrity official recently sued over ballot secrecy, and a Sumter County Superior Court judge last week denied an emergency motion to switch to hand-marked paper ballots. He ruled that the Coalition for Good Governance can't uh, hasn't proven it would be impossible or impractical for voting machines to be arranged in a way that provides for a secret ballot. Which is true. Again, the Secretary of State's already told... Counties, if you're concerned about this, turn the machines around so that they face the wall. Democrats have got it in their head now. And, and, you know, why do we have electronic voting to begin with? You know, my buddy Jonah Goldberg Used to write at National Review, he's now at the Dispatch He's written a number of great books uh, Liberal fascism being one of them Uh, Actually a very good history If you're ever interested in the progressive movement In the uh, early 1900s Liberal fascism is a fantastic book That chronicles essentially the rise of progressive thought In this country And one of the things he points out is that Progressives actually need no sense of history Everything is new Uh, History is always on a a curve towards some sort of justice So you don't need to pay attention to history history in the past and, and everything is new and a lot of arguments you get from the left are devoid of history because it doesn't matter to them. So many conservative issues and by the way this is and I'm not trying to make a partisan point here but it is true that a lot of conservatives premise their arguments based on history. We have always done X, Y, and Z therefore we always should or we have done it this way it didn't work therefore let's change. A lot of progressive arguments are just um, in the here and now we need to do something new the, and they forget the history here. Georgia used to have Scantron ballots. And in the year 2000, there was an election you might have heard of for a guy named George W. Bush versus a guy named Al Gore. And in Florida, the Democratic partisan in charge of creating ballots in Palm Beach County, created something called a butterfly ballot, and some people screwed it up. Despite having used a butterfly ballot for years and years, some people were too stupid to figure it out. And the election was so close, George W. Bush won Florida by 532 votes and won the presidency as a result, despite having lost the popular vote. And there was a huge outcry from Democrats over this. They thought it was very unfair. and They thought paper balloting was a very bad idea. And so they insisted that the whole nation embrace electronic voting. Voting, voting. The Help America Vote Act law, the Have A law, was passed. And that law uh, mandated electronic voting, or at least processes, to make it easier to vote. And almost every state embraced electronic voting. And it was actually Republicans in the early 2000s screaming about this, saying this was a terrible idea uh it would allow machines to be hacked etc well history comes full circle now we've got uh, democrats saying this is a terrible idea and we need paper ballots the whole reason we left the paper ballots is because democrats screwed up the paper ballots and now they're saying oh we can't have the electronic ballots we, we got to go back to stuffing the ballot box with paper because oh my goodness uh we, we can't do this because people might be able to see the screen and they could see how you vote we need to see- put up a curtain for god's sakes Listen, it is objectively true, whether you like the touchscreens or not, it is objectively true that with touchscreen voting, the disabled and the elderly have an easier time voting. And the elderly in particular tend to be the largest pool of voters. We should make it as easy on them as possible to vote. And the athens Clark County people are just being hypersensitive ninnies. It's absolutely silly uh, that they would do this. And there's a Coalition for Good Governance out there egging this stuff on. That is a Democrat front group. They claim to be nonpartisan. They're not. They're a bunch of partisans on the left, and they're trying to undermine people's faith in the election. They're out there trying to claim we got to do all sorts of things differently, um, and, and it's it, it, they perpetuate mythologies for the left. For example, there is a, a left wing writer now, and this is separate from the Coalition for Good Governance. There's a left wing writer who writes for Mother Jones who's peddling this book on voters, the history of voter suppression in the United States. You know, voter suppression really isn't a thing in the 21st century. Neither is voter fraud. Republicans love to say the Democrats are going to steal it, and the Democrats love to say that Republicans are going to suppress the vote. The reality is that it happens at the Fringes on both sides, but it's not significant enough. There has never been an election uh, where voters were so suppressed that they could not vote. Even for you Democrats out there screaming about Stacey Abrams
2: and Brian and Stacey
0: Abrams. Do you know that there was historic turnout for black voters in Georgia? There was record black voter registration in Georgia. There was historic turnout for black voters in Georgia. If Brian Kemp and the Republicans suppressed the black vote in Georgia in 2018, they were incompetent because more black people voted than have ever voted in the history of any election in the state of Georgia. There was no voter suppression. To the extent there were lines and there were problems, they happened in counties controlled by who? Not Republicans. Democrats, the counties where Republicans were in charge were well-oiled machines where people actually got into elections, cast their votes and left. It was the counties run by Democrats that were run like third world kleptocracies where people were in long lines and didn't have enough voting machines and machines broke and people had problems. And that was the Democrats in charge. It wasn't the Republicans. The Republicans have nothing to do with local elections. This, if you believe the secretary of state controls local elections, you are what is definitionally called an idiot in Georgia, local elections officials control local elections. And local elections mean all votes cast in a county. They are controlled by local boards of elections. And those local boards of elections are ultimately controlled by county commissions. And if your county commission is a bunch of Democrats, then the Democrats control the board of elections and the board of elections controls the vote. And if you were suppressed, it was because your idiot Democratic county commissioners get some Republicans in there to clean up the mess of the idiot Democrats. You did not have massive complaints in Republican run counties about voter suppression because the Republicans actually conducted themselves competently. It was in DeKalb County. I mean, my gosh, you go around the state of Georgia and you get behind a DeKalb County driver and you can tell it's someone from DeKalb County before you see it on their license plate because they drive like an idiot. If people in DeKalb County can't drive without being idiots, they sure as hell can't run an election like being without being idiots. That's just the way it is. And same with athens Clark County. To say that you can't turn the machine around so that not everybody can be oogling at who people voted for is a stupid excuse, and they deserve to be sued. And you people who are listening on WGAU right now in Clark County need to understand your taxes are going to go up when the Secretary of State sues the snot out of you for your county commission and board of elections being a bunch of progressive idiots. I didn't expect to go on a tirade. I'm sorry I yelled. This stuff just gets me. You know, I was an elections lawyer. I know how elections are run. When I was in law school, I interned for Kathy Cox in the Secretary of State's office, helping rewrite the books on how you conduct elections as we transitioned from paper ballots to electronic ballots. I'll never forget rewriting all of those books for the Secretary of State's office. I did an independent study as an intern and and helped rewrite those books. My uh, law school professor, Jack Sammons, was friends with Kathy Cox and got me in there. No one ever wants to do election law. It's not exactly an exciting topic. I loved it. Uh, Ann Lewis, who passed away this past year. Brilliant lawyer in Atlanta kind of became my mentor and helped me. And I loved election law and I loved watching the transition from paper ballots to electronic balloting, even if I preferred paper ballots myself. But the reality is with electronic balloting outside of places like Bibb County, Georgia and Fulton County, Georgia, we can know pretty quickly who won because of the electronic ballots. Uh, Beyond that, we also have a good sense of um, we have a good sense of accuracy of the vote. We when you have recounts now, recounts are less messy and more predictable. It's actually been a good thing. But ultimately, you have this mythology peddled by reporters who are on the left and sympathetic to the left that have bought the idea that Republicans suppress votes. And Republicans have bought the idea that Democrats try to to commit election fraud. It is true that there have been cases of Democrats out there trying to steal the vote. In fact, this past year, a couple of people went to jail for voting multiple times uh, and they were Democrats. It is also true that there are Republicans out there who do try to suppress the vote. There are Republicans out there who will send mail pieces in the last week of a campaign reminding people to vote on a Thursday. But you know what? That happened in this Democratic primary for a president on the Democratic side. Someone, and they believe it was someone tied to Bernie, not tied to Bernie Sanders, but supporting Bernie Sanders, began reminding people to vote on Thursday, not on Tuesday for Super Tuesday. It is a problematic issue. It is a problem. It is something that needs to be addressed, but it is a minor issue. Republicans do not suppress votes to win elections, and Democrats don't steal votes to win elections, and no, none of you believe me, because the Democrats listening right now are screaming, yes, the Republicans do suppress, and Republicans are like, yeah, the, vote, the Democrats do steal the vote. Show me the data. Show me the data. We should be grounded in truth and fact with what we say, and there is no factual basis to say that any election has been taken because of suppression or theft. It's just simply not true. At the fringes, yes, and in small races, yes. In Louisiana, yes. But short of the Nixon-Kennedy uh, race in 1960, there really is not a well-founded basis for thinking an election has been stolen. Even 2016 and the Russians did not steal that. Hillary Clinton lost because she ran a terrible campaign. Uh, but electronic voting, the state says you've got to have uniform voting, athens Clark County doing this. It's just a bunch of hooey, and they need to change their mind you should text recipe to three three seven 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 i'll send you one this week i don't know what yet but i'll send one let's go to the phones from athens on this ballot issue joan welcome
3: thank you so much i appreciate you letting me say what is really happening in athens sure i was at the meeting last night we took a group of people with us because we were already informed that this was going to happen um there is a uh, five-member board uh, board of elections uh and the deck is stacked three to two one of the um uh the when the vote when the motion was made last night no one would second the motion to do the paper ballots jesse evans the newly elected chairman had to second the vote because no one else would against the county attorney's advice against the county attorney saying about the Sumter uh, County um, a suit, all of those things, this is to push an agenda. It's, mm-hmm. it's to push an agenda. I am from Athens. I'm Athens. I'm Athens for everyone. I am one person in Athens It's for everyone in Athens. And this is an interruption and a, an obstruction of the uh, Clark County elections. And it's a Democrat presidential um, a preference right now that they're voting for. So this is not for the Democrat voters uh, in athens Clark County. It is not for the voters at large in athens Clark County. It is for an agenda that is being pushed and has been being pushed for quite some time. There was even a poll worker who got up who she admitted, I, I'm a Democrat. But I'm a poll worker, and I've been at watching the polls, and she said, I have seen absolutely nothing that could be uh, uh, construed as secrecy being violated. So mm-hmm. it's an agenda being pushed, and a petition is being circulated to recall this chairman.
0: Well, you know, I, I, Joan, listen, I appreciate that, and thank you very much for calling in and for going to the meeting, doing your civic obligation, uh, seeking the welfare of the city in which you live. Uh, I, I this is it really is uh madness that athens clark county is doing this because again uh, they can they can quote state consti- the, the state constitution ensuring a secret ballot all they want but the state law requires uniformity of voting in the state and the secretary of state has already said all you got to do is is rearrange how you display the 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 voting machines turn them so the screens face the wall instead of facing everyone. If you've ever walked into a uh, into an elections booth in Georgia and into a precinct where you're voting, all of the screens kind of face the crowd. Or they're lined up down a hallway, but people can walk past and look. So you turn them around so they're facing the wall. You give people a little space to to, to walk back there and vote. And guess what? People can't see the screen. That's kind of a no-brainer. This seems like a convenient excuse for the athens Clark County uh, Board of Elections. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the full number. Uh, we, You know, what haven't we talked about today? Aren't you glad? We can't really move on from it entirely. We do need to talk about a little bit. But yeah, the coronavirus, it's there's so many other things worth talking about today. But what's happening with the markets today? The Dow Jones right now is up four hundred forty eight points. The Nasdaq up one hundred eight points. The New York Stock Exchange itself up 179 points. This after everybody got getting freaked out the other day, yesterday, about the Federal Reserve cutting rates. Uh, We we probably do need to spend a little bit of time on that. And we also need to spend a little bit of time on FISA. Uh, Doug Collins is out uh, pretty aggressive on the issue of FISA. And I want to play some audio from Doug Collins on this. But right now, here's the president talking about the rate cut from the Federal Reserve yesterday.
1: I would say that the federal funds rate, the rate, as you would call it, is too high. Uh, it should be eased down so that we're competitive. Look, we have the greatest country in the world. We have the strongest country in the world. It's our dollar that the world relies on. We should have the low rate but we have a fed that doesn't agree with that i disagree with them
0: well and and now suddenly we, we do have a rate drop and it actually caused some people to panic i <sighs> can't win can't win. Uh, People panicked yesterday because the Fed dropped the rate that, oh my goodness, the virus must be worse than it is. We will get into that. We got other stuff to get into as well. There is actually polling in Georgia conducted by the University of Georgia and the AJC. Y'all know my, my, my criticisms, but there's some interesting data. And I talked to Bill Heath, The author of Senate Bill 357 that would allow churches to deal with concealed carry issues. Uh, Yesterday, I spoke to Jerry Henry uh, here on the program from Georgia Carry. They don't like 357. I want to tell you what Bill Heath, the author of the legislation, says uh, based on my conversation with him when we come back. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is a busy day, actually. Uh, It is six after the hour. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Mike Bloomberg is suspending his campaign he spent over 500 million dollars basically he spent 50 million dollars per delegate that he won in american samoa uh he also did well in aspen colorado (laughs) (laughs) Uh, of course he did well in aspen colorado of course of course uh The rest of Colorado went for Bernie Sanders. Um, Now, uh, so Bloomberg is suspending his campaign. He's suspending because he wants to be able to continue to control his delegates uh, that he has won. But uh, the the other news here is that uh, Elizabeth Warren is assessing with her campaign. They're having a, dare I say, campaign powwow. (laughs) to discuss i'm sorry i crack myself up sometimes they're having a campaign powwow at, at, at the at the with the warren tribe uh just can they all fit in the campaign tp to to figure out what she's going to do um maybe maybe so and i think she'll wind up dropping out as well and, and leave it to be bernie versus versus biden and and bernie can't beat biden um i don't even know that biden needs to get on the stage at this point just say no more debates we're done um now the other issue is in Georgia Nikki Haley uh, has announced that she will be endorsing Kelly Leffler. Uh she will be uh in Georgia on Monday at an event in support of Kelly Leffler. That as well is a big deal. Um, pretty significant, actually, that she is doing this. Now, why is it a significant deal that she's doing it significant because of the fact that, um, Kelly Leffler is new to politics. She, her campaign is still rough around the edges. She herself is rough around the edges when it comes to being on the campaign trail. Uh, but Haley is trying to build a coalition, uh, for 2024, And if, so here's the thing, this is my thinking, and I'm willing to be wrong here, but let me just give you perspective here from from my thought process, and don't hold me to this. My thinking will change, we're we're still four years away. But my thinking is, if President Trump wins re-election, Mike Pence is the obvious candidate for the presidency, for the Republicans in 2024. But if Donald Trump loses in 2020, then I think the party will be in fresh start mode come uh, 2024. And that advantage will go to someone who had ties to the Trump wing of the party, but is their own person. And I think that benefits Nikki Haley and and building some capital with people right now, like Kelly Loeffler, who she presumes to... um, while she presumes to to be the 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 advanced candidate, um, um, it's I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I, I I shouldn't have looked. I made the mistake of looking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I'm going to get an angry, angry email from my producer. Now, a a very prominent friend of mine sent a text message, and it's a screenshot. Uh, Chelsea Clinton has tweeted out, uh, President Trump has left the United States dangerously underprepared to face a public health crisis like the coronavirus. Um, Devis Riddhar and I explain how via CNN. And the very first reply is, The very first reply is, so far more people in the United States have died trying to testify against your mother than have died of the coronavirus. (laughs) Well played. Well played. Well played. Um, You know, I had somebody call me yesterday and say, hey, do you think that Joe Biden might make Hillary Clinton his running mate? And I replied back, I said, there is no way he would do that. There is no way. Um, Joe Biden does not have a death wish. Uh, Joe Biden won't pick Hillary Clinton as his running mate because Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just I, I I couldn't let that go. That that I found that to be very 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 funny. Um. And okay. Uh. Your pol- Your humor may not be like mine. Now we got to get into some polling here. Th- this is interesting polling. Uh. And I'm I'm actually fascinated. Even though, even though, even though. I'm not an overwhelming fan. Listen, I I'm going to UGA tonight. I'm going to speak to the uh, college Republicans at the university of Georgia at six 30 tonight at what is it? The, the, is they got a building named after Zell Miller. Uh, that's the one I'll be in. And, um, 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 I'm not a huge fan of UGA polling and don't be offended by that. it's, UGA, the problem is that UGA doesn't have the track record yet, and it's polling. Once they've built up a track record for accuracy, I'll be a little more comfortable with it. But I'm always skeptical of colleges and universities starting polling because uh, short of Quinnipiac, most of them aren't that good. Whether it's Emerson College or Monmouth University, uh, I tend to discredit those polls out of the gate until they have a real good track record. Uh, and the, But the University of Georgia has this poll. And we can at least get a sense of trend lines here and the trend line for the president. And this is why I'm willing to talk about this poll is because it actually is consistent with other polls. What does that mean? Well, uh, I will give credence to the polling of a college or university if that polling is in line with other polling. That, again, is why I give a hard time to like Emerson College, uh, even more so than Monmouth, because Emerson College tends to be not in line with anyone else's polling. And at least this University of Georgia poll here tends to be in line with other polling. Uh, And this is from the AJC from Greg Bluestein, one of the best political reporters, probably the best political reporter in Georgia right now. President Donald Trump has built up sizable leads in Georgia over his top four challengers, according to a University of Georgia poll released Wednesday, with the competition for the state's wild jungle U.S. Senate race remains wide open. The polls showed that the president had the widest lead over Bernie Sanders and the smallest lead over Mike Bloomberg. He's got a lead over Vice President Joe Biden at 51 to 43. That's what matters here. In the race for Senator Kelly Leffler's seat, the incumbent was neck and neck with Doug Collins, a four-term congressman who qualified to challenge her this week. Matt Lieberman, the son of former Senator Joe Lieberman, was the only Democrat of the four who polled in double digits. The poll was conducted by the UGA School of Public and International Affairs, March 24th to, to February 24th to March 2nd. It included 1,117 likely general election voters. The margin of error is 2.9%. It's the same outfit, polling outfit, conducted previous AJC polls, though this one wasn't commissioned by the AJC. The poll pegged Donald Trump's approval rating at 54%, the latest encouraging number for the president. It showed a huge gender gap, 60% of likely male voters and Democrats uh, with roughly half of women voters. Uh, He he was uh, 60% of likely male voters. I think that might be wrong and Democrats uh 60% of, uh no 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 that, that, that can't be right getting 60% of Democratic voters that must be Republican but 60% of male voters and half of women And oh I see I see I see it's just worded badly he snags 60% of likely male voters Democrats get roughly half of women voters voters who are over 45 and older solidly back the president while younger voters were more likely to support the Democratic challenger now the Leffler race is a free-for-all contest. A third of voters were undecided. 40% of black voters were undecided. Leffler is a financial executive, tallied 19% of support. Collins had 21% within the margin of error. Collins has a nine point lead among Republicans. Leffler has a slight edge with independents. And Matt Lieberman has 11% of the vote. The David Perdue race wasn't polled, but I imagine that David Perdue, given both the president and the governor's popularity rating of the state, that uh, David Perdue is sitting pretty as well. Now, let's deal with the Leffler collins race. Uh, Doug Collins is in the news. And he's got some great points here. And these are the sorts of issues that are going to help Doug Collins. I don't think the the who's more Georgian and who likes or hates Stacey Abrams is the way to run this race. It, it's got to be an issues race. And they've got to find the issues that define them and stand out. And this is an issue that helps Doug Collins tremendously. It is the FISA issue. The president is signaling he's not a fan of the FISA court. Uh, and he doesn't want to renew the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. He doesn't want to renew it. Doug Collins is coming out uh, largely aligned with the president on this issue, as he's smart to do, uh, and this is fairly consistent for him over time. Listen to Doug Collins.
1: What do you want to see done
2: in terms of FISA reform, possibly in this session of Congress? Well, it needs to be more than just simply sending it and not having any real protections put in for, to protect what the president is saying and what others are saying, like Carter Page and others. So we need to have some, some information where we actually can put in protection that the information given to the court is uh, one is verified number two that it's actually accurate and if there's some kind of a, a back-and-forth that could be there that doesn't slow up the process but make sure that our the Fourth Amendment rights especially of American citizens involved in things like this are protected. Um
0: there are other things that need to be extended and that's those are fine but we can't extend it without doing some other work
2: what would be the main way to avoid what happened with Carter Page in the future, in the realm of, of <laughs> FISA. The easiest thing is for the FBI and others to actually not have corrupt people actually putting uh, things for the FISA court. And I think the FISA court recognized that. So I think as we go forward, I think that's what we've got to look at is finding ways to put the checks and balances in there so that there's not a political vendetta that we saw. But again, you had massive corruption. You, know, you go from the FBI director down, that's a problem.
0: It is a problem, and we do know from the FISA court itself that the FISA court recognizes these problems and does want some clarity out there, and I think that uh, they're going to get it. And and by the way, I think this plays well for Doug, Doug Collins. It gets him on TV and on radio. Uh, positively taking the president without doing the cheerleading stuff, but but being about good governance. Uh, and that's an angle he needs. And Leffler's going to have to find something as well. Listen, uh, Collins, though, is going to have to have the money. Uh, he does not have high name, even in this UGA poll. He doesn't have massive name ID. He's two points ahead within the margin of error. Uh, but Leffler does very well with independence, and she's got money to burn that Collins doesn't. And the National Republican Senatorial Committee has been pouring a lot of time and energy into blocking Collins. From being able to raise money. Meanwhile, you've got the Club for Growth is out attacking him. The National Republican Senatorial Committee is out attacking him. The Susan B. Anthony Fund, uh, uh, the Concerned Women of America, uh, the, the, the conservative uh, female groups will be coming out for Leffler. Nikki Haley will be coming out for Leffler. New Gingrich is coming out for Leffler. Uh, this is going to be a fight, and they've got until November, and the The desire from a lot of Republicans is try to push Collins to not actually uh, campaign, to get out of the race, to find him somewhere else. But Collins is qualifying, and he's insisting he's going to do this. It's going to be a messy, messy race. But the polling should be encouraging to Republicans that it's not going to be so divisive that Republicans don't show up in November. Republicans, it looks like, are going to show up big in November. And that helps all the Republicans, including the president here in Georgia. Um, I do find it remarkable that in this this, uh, University of Georgia polling, which actually tends to oversample Democrats perhaps more than they should, the president's got a 54 percent approval rating. That's what Brian Kemp's approval rating was in the last University of Georgia poll. And all the polling trend lines out there suggest that Brian Kemp is more popular in Georgia than Donald Trump is. And if that's the case, Brian Kemp probably has a popularity uh, of over 60%. And I'm aware of some actually very credible private polling out there that has the governor's popularity well over 60%. He's got some capital in the state, and he may use some of it to help Loeffler. And that's going to matter, too, if he gets out on the campaign trail with someone like Nikki Haley on behalf of Kelly Loeffler. You can call in if you want as well. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, reminder, on Friday, Vice President Pence is going to join me here on the program. Uh, you're definitely going to want to be around on Friday for that. Um Yes, believe it or not, we're talking coronavirus, and and we'll get to that. But I just can. Can we step aside for? I feel like I, I don't like to just talk nonstop about politics, but today because of the news, I kind of have to talk about uh, politics more than I might like. Uh, but 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 yeah, I just I got to share the story with you. So my my eleven year old uh, has been going through. We, we go to a PCA church, and he's going through the process of. Um, Uh, of joining the church and in a lot of Presbyterian churches you know in the Baptist church you, you walk the aisle you say you want to join the church you get baptized you make a profession of faith and you join the church well, in, in most denominations do infant baptism. Uh, they don't do believer's baptism. The, the Baptists are actually in the minority of that, even though they're committed to being right on that. Um, most denominations do infant baptism. And the most denominations outside of the Southern Baptists would say that in the Old Testament, uh, circumcision was the sign of being part of the covenant family. And Jesus says baptism replaces circumcision, and but you still do it just as you did with circumcision to the the eight-day-old children, you do uh, baptism now. If it's the swap, you do it The you do it at the, the same age. Um, we don't need to argue the theological point there. Just to say, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm now in a Presbyterian church. My son was baptized as an infant, and now he goes through the process of joining the church, and he's got to share his testimony. Uh, to, to, he meets with the elders of the church tomorrow, and I've been talking to him and explaining it to him and making sure he understands that that we don't want to pressure him to do this. It's his choice to do this. He says it is his choice. I just, I, I love this. Um, being being a Calvinist and someone who is big into covenant theology, I just, I love this. Um, this is what what his 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 testimony. I never had an instance where I didn't trust, believe in God. I always love when we do Bible at school. Too bad we do it in the morning. I love reading the Bible. I know I'm a sinner, and Jesus died for me. I know my testimony is boring, like my dad's, but here it is. I want to join the church. <laughs> I know it's boring like my dad's. Can I just tell you? So I, I've got a my, one of my favorite seminary professors. Um, he says that that his wife and I have the the most boring testimony he has ever heard. And, and it really is. I I, I grew up, I, I distinctly remember one of my earliest memories is sitting in my grandmother's lap. She had a golden book Bible with those beautiful pictures. I've got a copy of it here. And she, the, the very first story I ever remember her reading me was Daniel in the lion's den. And it's still one of my favorite stories of the Bible. And I, I, we went to church all my life. I, I don't remember not going to church. And, and I'm sure there was a moment where where I, I had to build a relationship with Jesus. But but I never, I don't remember a time where I didn't have some sort of knowledge and relationship with God. And that's what we should want for all of our kids, I think. But nowadays you hear th- these, I mean, people, they put so much emphasis on these elaborate testimonies. I, I had a, a friend of mine in law school one time. She was a couple years younger than me and we were talking about this one time and she said you know I went half my life thinking I wasn't a real christian because I didn't have these amazing testimonies of of a faith and it's uh it, it really is striking to me that a lot of churches put so much emphasis on these dramatic tales of conversion the the everybody's road to damascus moment and and there are a lot of people out there who who are like i don't i don't have anything that exciting i i don't have a story to tell and you know to some degree you actually do have the story to tell by not having the story to tell the 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 lack of excitement the lack of the the road to damascus moment the, the as i told my son last night i said listen you could decide to do this today, and and, and maybe you have an, a dramatic encounter with Jesus your mom and I don't know about, and, and we would love to hear it too. But if you don't, that's okay as well. You don't have to. I don't. Uh, and I, I told him what I'm telling you guys, and that ultimately is my testimony. He's as boring as my dad's. That's what he wrote. Uh, But I said, or, you know, you could grow up. You could decide not to do this right now. You can go out and ruin your life and then find Jesus later. And you can have this dramatic testimony when you ultimately do um, join the church. And you can sell all sorts of books and be some sort of mini celebrity. But you'll have missed most of your life having a great relationship with God. And and what would you rather have? The the book deal because of your dramatic conversion and, and you're tattooed standing on stage giving some sort of pep talk religion speech or actually walk with Jesus? And I just, I thought it was funny, uh, his acknowledgement of how boring the testimony is. I sent it to a professor, friend of mine, uh, my seminary professor, actually, and he said, you know, therein sums up all of covenant theology. Um, I, I lived in a house where I always went to church and knew the Lord, and I know I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and I want to join the church, and that's it. Made me feel good. Um, I realized that is a, a random, completely didn't need to share that segue with you, but it just, it, it did my heart good to... To see him write that out last night. Um, But man, you know, I'm also aware of the number of people who try to pressure their kids into doing stuff like that. And I want to be very, very careful about not doing that uh, to my kids, pressuring them to do things that I want them to do because I did it. And that is one of the hard things as a parent I'm learning that there are things you want your kids to do because you believe they need to experience those things but then there are the things that you want your kids to do because you want to live vicariously through them and sometimes it's very hard to know the difference between the two and I you know I would I would never presume to write a book on parenting Um, in fact I know a very famous uh, pastor in this country theologian in this country who says he screwed up his kids he would never he never even preaches about raising kids but weeding out what you want your kids to do because you think they need it versus what you want them to do because you didn't that's a parenting skill you got to learn all right L- let's move on from the the raw politics of the day I do want to spend a moment uh, about Bill Heath's legislation uh, for those of you who didn't tune in yesterday let, let me there's legislation pending in in the Georgia Senate and I think I'm going to come out in support of it Um, The legislation is Senate Bill uh, 357. It is authored by Bill Heath, uh, the retiring state senator from Bremen, uh, who back in the day beat Tom Murphy, the Speaker of the House. That was a big sign that Georgia was shifting dramatically to the Republicans uh, with Bill Heath uh, winning that seat. And his legislation would allow churches around the state of Georgia to determine who should Uh, be allowed to carry weapons inside churches. Uh, His legislation would right now in Georgia, it's an all or nothing situation in Georgia. You either have to allow everyone who comes to your church to carry a gun or no one in your church, carry a gun. And there are a lot of churches that are essentially breaking the law uh, by saying they're going to designate people who can carry guns in their churches. Uh, Now, Georgia Carey opposes the legislation, and it is a principled opposition, and I don't disagree with him, and neither does Bill Heath. Uh, Bill Heath actually embraces the criticisms from Georgia Carey of his legislation. And their criticism, I had Jerry Henry on yesterday, is that churches are private property. And as private property, they should be able to control who comes on their property or not uh, and whether or not that person can bring a gun or not. And the state should have no say in it. And he is a billion percent correct. And there is legislation pending that would allow that to happen. It's Senate Bill 224. And Bill Heath supports Senate Bill 224. Bill Heath's argument, however, and I spoke to him yesterday evening, is that Senate Bill 224 may not get out of the Senate. Uh, It is questionable that it has the votes to get out of the Senate, but he is sure he can get his legislation out of the Senate. And ultimately, Jerry Henry and Georgia Kerry are a billion percent right. Churches are private property, and as such, they should be allowed to decide who can or cannot carry on their premises. The problem he's run into with preachers is that uh, while that is the way it should work, that's not the way it does work in Georgia uh in georgia for more than 100 years uh, we have not treated churches in that way and in georgia as all of this uh has has come about we have a situation where the Uh, where churches, if they were considered private property, would to some degree be considered a private business. And private business law applies in Georgia. And as a result, what you would have to do is you would have to post signs, and then churches would get into this awkward situation where they would tell people who are coming to their church to hear the gospel that, well, we want you to come, but you can't be here with this, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it puts churches in an awkward position because there are not votes available to change the the law to just treat churches as if they're, for example, a private home. And Bill Heath wants to do something to help the churches be able to expand the pool of people who they can, uh, on premises, carry firearms or not. And I think that's a good idea. And so I'm supporting the legislation. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm supporting the legislation is because he is correct, Bill Heath is correct, That we're not going to change the law as Georgia Carey and I and Bill Heath would like. Uh, We're not going, there are not enough votes in the legislature uh, to change the law in the way we would all like. So, what can we do if we can't do that? What can we do to help churches? Because again, under Georgia law right now, it is all or nothing. A church can say everybody can carry a gun in the church or nobody can carry a gun in the church. They can't say only the deacons or only the choir or only the members. They're not allowed to do that under Georgia law. So what can we do to allow them more flexibility? And Bill Heath's legislation, Senate Bill 357, would say that churches can designate a class of people beyond paid security because there are a lot of small churches in Georgia. And, and Bill Heath said this yesterday. His concern is not the mega church that has the budget to fund uh, its own security team. His concern is the 50-person church that doesn't have the money for, for security on Sunday uh, but has a couple of members who are competent with firearms and are licensed, and what can they be empowered to do that doesn't break the law? And right now, if a church doesn't have the money to hire private security and just wants to designate the three members of the church who are competent and qualified and trained to handle guns, that they're not allowed to do that under Georgia law. And it's stupid. George Carey's absolutely right. It is, a, it is stupid. Uh, that, that's not George Carey's words, though. But, yeah, I mean, it's stupid, and they would agree with me. So Bill Heast Law, again, would say, churches, let's forget the all-or-nothing solution. Let's do this. You get to designate a class of people in your church who get to carry firearms, you can say just the choir's allowed to do it or just the preacher's allowed to do it or just the diaconate's allowed to do it or just these three people are allowed to do it or the whole membership, but not the guests or people over 50, not people under 50. You decide however you want to do it, whatever works in your church structure, and you're not going to break the law by doing that. And I think that's a fair compromise at this point. Uh, and so I am going to do an action alert to encourage people to support his legislation. Uh, having now heard from both sides, I I'm, while I totally agree with Um, I totally agree with George Carey. And I wish it were not so. It doesn't look like the votes are there to change the law overall, as Bill Heath and Georgia Carey both would like, and as I would like. So let's go with Bill Heath's legislation. And so I would encourage you to to text the word ARMY to 33777 so that we can um, focus on this issue and get an action alert up and going for people who want to reach out to their member of the state Senate or the state House and say, support Senate Bill 357, allow churches greater flexibility. Now, I put this off until here at the end and it is now time for us to discuss the situation with the coronavirus here's the president from the white house lawn
1: no not at all no not at all but we're doing a fantastic job the professionals are doing a great job we're really happy with the job they're doing they have they have been just ahead of it and we're ahead of it by having stopped so much earlier than nobody wanted us to cut off access to our country and I did it early. By doing that, that was a big step. Otherwise, many more people would be infected. You know,
0: he's right in this, and, and we we shouldn't dismiss this. He's actually telling the truth. The media doesn't want to give him credit, but he's actually telling the truth. Uh, in this country, there was a, a all sorts of complaining about the president cutting off uh, access to foreign countries. Uh, the media said it was an overreaction, and it was going to spook people, and it was going to harm the markets. Uh, and yet it wound up being the right thing to do. Now, where do we stand globally? Well, let me give you the United States first. Um, Well, globally, we have 94,000. Let me make sure this hasn't updated because they tend to update it on me after I've given you the numbers. It makes me mad. Okay, 94,250 confirmed coronavirus cases on the planet. Uh, Here's the good news. Uh, Of those 94,250, 51,000, 38 of them have now recovered. So 51038 divided by 94 to 50 times 100. That's 54% of people have recovered so far from the coronavirus. Uh, globally now, we've got 3,114 deaths. Again, 94 to times 100. That's a 3.4% death rate of those who have gotten infected. Uh, in this country... Yesterday, when I was on air with you, there were 116 confirmed coronavirus cases in this country. Uh, there are now 128. On the eastern side of the country, east of the Mississippi, we now have a case. we got two cases in Atlanta. We've got two cases in Hillsborough County, Florida. We've got one case in Sarasota, Florida. When we've got one case in Wake County, Florida, in addition to the others that we've had in Westchester County and in New York City, uh, we've got nine deaths. All of the deaths come from Washington State. In fact, there's actually an article out there uh, today, I believe in the Daily Beast, on the on the disastrous handling of the coronavirus in seattle and a lot of it have you noticed that that i don't mean to make a bad political point here i really don't mean to but it's going to come across that way that a lot of these are highly progressive areas and i mean the seattle area is run amok with antifa and socialists And the virus has gotten into the wild there. Now, part of the problem was government controls in Seattle. The CDC did not want to expand testing at first. The local government proved incompetent to do it. The bulk of the deaths, so you need to understand here, like 100% of the deaths come from nursing home environments, particularly one nursing home where it got infected. You're seeing a lot of people who are elderly. I think all of them are in their 60s and above who have died. We now know in Georgia that the two patients here it's not a hu- it's not a husband and wife that was the initial speculation you know, the governor came on yesterday and talked about this and the governor couldn't go into details about the identities of the people. And, and we knew it was a man because of the way they were talking about it and one other person in their household. And on Monday night at the press conference, the suggestion had been that it was his spouse, but it actually was his son. It's a mid fifties father who lives in Fulton County. Uh, they homeschool their kids. Uh, the son has gotten the coronavirus as well. The wife and daughter are also now confined to their home. And the man, I got to, again, I, I don't know who this man is. I don't know whether he, he w- would drink a beer or not, but I would buy him one. I mean, the the dude just, this, this is what you want. This, this, seriously, this is what you want. Uh, the man got back from Milan, knew he probably shouldn't be out in public, stayed in his house. His son developed symptoms two days after he developed symptoms. He gets him in a car. Now we know it was both of them. Got in a car, went to the doctor, called ahead, said, we're coming in. We think we got coronavirus. I've been in Milan. I got the symptoms. My kids got the symptoms. Please secure an environment for us to come into so nobody else gets it. His doctor's office did. They tested positive. They sent him home. They quarantined him. Uh, they got symptoms, but they're more likely they're not going to make a full recovery god bless them that's what you want contrast that to new york city new york is now bracing for a potential outbreak of the coronavirus new rochelle new york and do you know why it's very much like the woman in south korea who infected 1200 other people some man in new york decided to go to a bat mitzvah at a at a temple and also to a funeral and he had symptoms and he potentially has infected the entire temple. Uh, I don't know who it is, but man, that would, that would make me mad that someone was that irresponsible. Uh, but that's where we are with it. Uh, it continues to spread. Uh, you know, even uh, some of the scientists who are coming out saying it looks like the death toll may not be as bad as we were thinking are now starting to say eh, it may actually be a little worse than we thought. So again, don't overreact. In Georgia now, if you go to a Kroger and try to buy hand sanitizer, they're going to limit the number of hand sanitizer pumps you can buy because people are are selling out. Washing your hands at hand sanitizer is actually the best way to fight this. Uh, it does you no good at all. And, and l- let me just reiterate this: it does no good at all for you to cover your mouth with a mask if you don't have the virus. If you, have, if you do not have the virus, the mask is not going to save you. The mask is for sick people who may spread the virus. The mask is not for healthy people who don't want to get the virus. In fact, uh, statistically speaking, you wear the mask and you're healthy, you increase your odds of getting it because the virus can live on the outside of the mask. and When you take your mask off and it gets on your hand, if you don't immediately wash your hand, you're going to get the virus. So don't be going out and buying up painter's masks and the like to try to spare yourself the virus. Those are for the sick people. All that being said, uh, the odds of any of you listening right now getting the coronavirus are actually pretty small. There's no reason to panic. If you do get the coronavirus, uh, the odds of you surviving are actually incredibly significant. I had a buddy of mine last night say, what do I tell my kids? And my kids are starting to freak out. They're hearing about it in the news. Here's what you tell your kids. There has not been any person under the age of 30 to die from this disease. No one under the age of 30 has died. Between the age of 30 and the age of 60, the only people who have died are people who had pre-existing bad health conditions. Over the age of 60, yeah, you if you get in the hospital, you got a 50-50 shot. But under the age of 50, you're going to be okay. And if you're over the age of 50 and you're even over the age of 60 and you're in good health, the odds are this is just going to be like the flu. The president's getting blown up from people saying you get a flu vaccine. Uh, that They're implying what the president said is the flu vaccine will keep you safe from the coronavirus. That's not what he was saying, if you listen to him in context. What the president was saying is that the flu is going around as well, and it would be very good of you to get your flu vaccine because some of the initial symptoms are the same between the two. And if you get the flu vaccine, you will be able to spare yourself getting the flu and the coronavirus together. If you go to a hospital with coronavirus, the flu is so rampant right now in the United States, the odds are you could pick up the flu in addition to the coronavirus, and then you pretty much are dead. So get your flu vaccine if you can. Now, I realize there are people who say, you know, I actually get sick from the flu vaccine. I'm one of those people and i realize every doctor always tells me uh no you don't get the flu from the flu vaccine what happens is you come into contact with people no that that's not what i'm talking about for about 24 to 48 hours after i get the flu vaccine without fail my throat gets sore and i feel bad and then it goes away and it, it don't tell me it's psychosomatic it has lasted my entire adult life and for the longest time I really believed I was getting the flu when I got the flu shot. Uh, And finally, as I got older and I got a good doctor, he explained to me that some people do have a reaction to the flu vaccine uh, and it goes away. And it's not you actually getting the flu. And I am one of those people. Uh, And I get the flu vaccine because a couple of years ago I didn't get the flu vaccine and I got the flu and it was horrible. It was horrible. And even this year, you can get the flu vaccine and get the flu. I know people who have. My wife last year got the flu, tested negative for it, but they all the doctors say she got it. She had had the flu vaccine, uh, which is one reason they think she might have tested negative for it, even though they're sure she had it. Uh, but it, it could have been a far worse flu. So even if you get the flu and you've got the flu vaccine, you're not going to get it as bad as other people have. But my goodness. Um, get out there, get your flu vaccine if you can, if you should, if your doctor recommends it, and just wash your hands. It sounds so dumb, but wash your hands. I read a book a while back of historians. I shouldn't say it was a book. It was a long article of uh, historians and scientists. If you could go back 500 years, if you could go back 500 years and talk to people and tell them one thing to dramatically improve their lifespan? What would you tell them? Do you know what the overwhelming answer was from scientists and historians? Wash your hands with soap. I, I wish I was making that up. It sounds dumb. It really does sound dumb to say. But washing your hands with soap, um, even 500 years ago, they did have soap products. They were they were lie. They could scald your hands. They, were, they weren't great, but they could disinfect your hands. Wash your hands with soap. That was the number one advice. Do you know what the number two advice was? This is actually really interesting. The number two advice, go back 500 years, and what is the number one piece of advice you would give to people to expand their lifespan? Number one, number one piece of advice was wash your hands with soap. The number two piece of advice, boil water for five minutes before consuming it. Clean water and cleanliness, the number one and the number two answers to save people's lives. And that applies today, just like it did 500 years ago. There's no reason to panic. Just be a clean person. You can't now because we've turned off the phone lines because it's the end of the day and and or the end of the show. And there's no reason. This, this story... Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, this, is, this is making national news. The particular source I've got here is the uh, New York Daily News. A company featured in a Target ad meant to empower girls in the black community has been subjected to a surge of reviews, labeling it racist. On Monday, a wave of online criticism was leveled at The Honey Pot Company, a line of feminine hygiene products founded by Beatrice Dixon that Target spotlighted in a commercial. In the ad, Founders We Believe In, The Honeypot, uh, Dixon, a black entrepreneur, remarked that Target invested in her really changed my life. The reason why is so important for Honeypot to do well is so the next black girl that comes up with a great idea, she can have a better opportunity. That means a lot to me. And now, uh, trolls are coming after the honeypot, including one person who started a uh, trust pilot uh, thread, Boycott the Honeypot Company, and Target. She makes the statement for the next black girl why should the color of her skin matter? Uh, totally racist and inappropriate. How dumb is that? Uh, I, I don't actually want to know more about this company to be quite honest with you. Um, I just, I just, uh, um, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the website. No, um, I, I think I'm going to pass on that, but, um, it is interesting that it target wants to, inspire young black women, young black women to get involved and to show that they too can become entrepreneurs. And now people are coming after target and this poor lady targeting her attacking her for being part of the ad. But there's another thing here as well. These are all a bunch of people on social media who are blowing up this company and this woman. Uh, it is it, it, it's outrageous to me that they would call a a black small businesswoman a racist for starting a business and attacking her because she wants to empower other young black women. That actually that that angers me. But more so, what angers me is that the media is highlighting the story when it happens to be a series of trolls on social media who are blowing this stuff up, there are more and more stories that are about people on social media, um, making loud criticisms and the media turns what a handful of people on social media do into big stories. So this has become a big story. I, I just Googled it and, and it is in, in basically every media outlet in the country. Now that this woman is being attacked as a racist Uh, And what is it ultimately about? It's about a handful of people on social media who got very vocal and targeted reporters and reporters, of course, are so on social media that they're designing stories around them. Social media and Twitter particularly are not real life. And we should stop doing this to people.